Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Now, uh, my wife already asked, but I'm going to ask as well. Uh, Who is ready for Christmas this morning? (sighs) (laughs) Um, I did not realize uh, when I was going to be up here this morning that I might be preaching to a bunch of Grinches. Um, So Cindy Lou uh, might be a little disappointed with you guys. So let's try that again, since it is the Christmas season. Who is excited for Christmas? Hey, there we go. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like I am in uh, great company, man. I am so excited for Christmas this year, too. I love everything about the holidays, from the music to the lights to the parties. When it comes to Christmas, I am all in. And while all those things are great, there is one thing in particular that I get most excited about when it comes to this season. And I'm talking about, of course, Christmas movies. In my mind, there is nothing that could be better than curling up on a couch with your favorite blanket, the fire blazing next to you, and watching one of your favorite Christmas classics. It's a little slice of heaven for me. But often, the hardest part when it comes to Christmas movies is choosing which one you're going to watch, right? There are so many different Christmas movies, and all of them are fantastic. When you sit down, do you watch Elf, It's a Wonderful Life, The Grinch, A Christmas Carol, Home Alone, The Santa Claus, The Polar Express, A Christmas Story, or even Die Hard? (laughs) And yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I do not care what Bruce Willis says. It is a Christmas movie. But when push comes to shove, and I have to choose a movie that I'm supposed to watch, There's really only ever one choice. And I'm referring, of course, to the GOAT of Christmas movies, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And this is an incredible piece of filmmaking for a lot of reasons. First, National Lampoon has so many repeatable one-liners, many of which I cannot repeat from the stage this morning, (laughs) so I won't, because I value uh, being up here. However, They have some incredible one-liners. And also, National Lampoon is incredibly funny and at times irreverent, but it also, at the same time, pays homage to some of our most time-honored Christmas traditions. But I think what really makes National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation better than all the other Christmas movies that I like to watch is Chevy Chase's portrayal of Clark W. Griswold. For those of you who may not have been blessed enough to have seen Christmas Vacation, or for those in the audience this morning who perhaps need a little bit of a refresher, Clark Griswold, the movie, follows Clark and his exploits as a buffoonish father to try and provide the perfect Christmas for his family. For example, in one scene, while Clark and his family are journeying through the wilds of Illinois, they are hunting for the perfect Christmas tree. And after hours of plodding through the snow and the cold, Clark finally becomes and stumbles upon the tree that he's been looking for, the perfect pine that will adore the Griswold living room. 
in that scene, it's as if the sky opens, the light cascades down, and you can hear a heavenly host singing. Except Clark's dreams are almost derailed because he forgot to bring an axe to chop it down. And Clark Griswold, he's a great character, I believe, because Clark is relatable. I think all of us at one time or another have probably found ourselves in Clark's shoes when our zeal for the holidays is only outmatched by our expectations. I got to admit, I've been there. I know that there have been times when I tend to build up events or holidays in my mind that no person or party could ever meet. No, not even Christmas. And when my expectations, those lofty expectations, inevitably fail, which they always do, I'm left oftentimes feeling crushed, disappointed, and discouraged. For instance, last Christmas, I had the expectation that I was going to cook the perfect Christmas dinner, save for a turkey that refused to cook. <laughs> Did not matter how high I cranked that oven, it would not cook. Or like every Christmas, when I have the expectation that I'm going to find the perfect gift for my little nephews, only to have said gift immediately tossed aside and discarded when they open a much more expensive and cooler present from another relative. Crushed my heart, man. <laughs> or, in particular, the holidays when I come to a family event or a holiday party and believe that this event is going to create for me some magical Christmas memory only to have reality spoil it by the fact that either the hot chocolate's just lukewarm, it's too cold to stand outside and look at the Christmas lights, or I realize and remember that I really can't stand my relatives all that much. <laughs> and like Clark W. Griswold, I've discovered that the holidays have an uncanny way of highlighting the difference between my expectations and the hard truth of reality. It seems that every Christmas I struggle to maintain my expectations while at the same time not allowing myself to be let down. Is there anyone else in here this morning who can perhaps relate with that a little bit? Your experiences may look different than mine. Your expectations may be different than mine. But regardless of your expectations, we all tend to end up in the same place. We suffer the sting of disappointment. We wrestle with the heartache in disillusionment, discouragement, and we grapple with frustration and anger when our expectations go unmet. And during the holidays, it seems that a lot of times those expectations are centered around some of the people that we care about the most, our family. During the holidays, it seems that there is no family that is safe from our expectations. I think about this holiday season, some of our blended families. If you come from a blended family, perhaps you know the expectation of trying to keep multiple parties happy while at the same time trying to maintain some of your traditions. That's not an easy task. Or if you're from a blended family, perhaps you bought into the uh, expectation trap that this year, this year finally, your family will morph into a harmonious group of people that celebrate together without any fights or disagreements. And while most of us would recognize that that's an unrealistic expectation, the truth is it still hurts when that expectation goes unmet. If you're single, 
you're forced to deal with a whole other list of expectations. As a dude who was single for 35 years, I know those feels. And maybe your expectation this year as a single person is that this year, finally, Santa is going to bring that significant other for you so that you won't have to be lonely this Christmas season. Or perhaps if you're single, maybe you've been dealing with the expectation that your family places on you about when you're actually going to meet somebody. I know for me, it wasn't Christmas until grandma asked, what's wrong with you? Why have you not met someone? (laughs) Grandma, I don't know. And to my teenagers in the room, to those that are in middle school and high school, you're not immune from expectation either. You live in a world where your identity is often defined by your outward appearance, the shoes you wear, the car you drive, the home your family lives in, can all radically influence how people choose to accept you. And during the holidays, we can view that as a time when we actually get a level up, right? We finally get to get those shoes that be dripping, right? We get to get that new phone, that new video game that everybody's been playing. But let me ask you this, teenagers, what happens when your parents can't afford to buy you those things and that expectation? What happens, or maybe even worse, what happens when your parents are oblivious to what's really popping out there these days and don't get you something really cool. Those unmet expectations can leave you feeling embarrassed or even angry. I know for other people, there are parents probably in this room who are or have been at one point a parent of a prodigal child. And there are few pains like a parent who is dealing with a prodigal child during the holiday season. As a former prodigal child myself, I know the immense pain and hurt and heartache that I caused my parents for several Christmases as their desire to have me home went unmet. During the holiday season, those aches and and pains and desires to have your kids home safely are only heightened in Christmas. And if left unmet, those unmet expectations can weigh heavy on our hearts and our souls. And what about those in here today who have lost a loved one, who are dealing with the reality that you're going to go home for Christmas and that loved one won't be with you? While everyone else seems to be happy and merrymaking, you're dealing with depression or perhaps just struggling to come to grips with the loss of that person. And in those seasons and when we're dealing with those feelings, oftentimes we put the expectation on ourselves, or people put the expectation on us of when are you just going to get over it? We hear and we say things like, why can't I just be happy? When is it going to be time to get beyond this? And those expectations that are placed on us, that we place on ourselves, are so damaging. Because the truth is, grief doesn't abide by ours or other people's expectation. So we all in this room, every one of us here today, deals with unmet expectations during the holidays. Some are bigger than others, but I believe that all of, us ha- all of them have the impact, can impact our lives. So how do we properly manage those expectations? What does God have to say about our expectations during the holiday season? Well, in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Clark W. Griswold begins to lose it under the weight of his unmet expectations. In fact, at one point in the movie, when everything has gone horribly wrong, Clark exclaims to his wife, Worse! How could it get any worse, Ellen? We're at the threshold of hell! 
Thankfully, while we may sympathize with Clark, we don't have to share his same reaction. And thankfully, we're not the first people in history to have to deal with expectations during the holiday season. In Jesus' day, there were a lot of expectations regarding the coming Messiah. And so if you have your Bible or you have it on your phone in an app, I'm going to ask you to open that now and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to explore together the surprising response about how God met those expectations of the first century Jewish people. Now, as you uh, turn to the book of Luke, um, let me set the table for you a little bit this morning. Uh, the book of Luke, for those who may or may not know, is one of the four books in the Bible that is actually considered the Gospels. And in turn, the Gospels are the first four books in the New Testament. And the Gospels contain the story of Jesus about his life and his miracles, while at the same time proving that Jesus was the Son of Man as well as the Messiah. That is the book of Luke. However, the Gospel of Luke actually differs from the four other Gospels in some very distinct ways. The first is that Luke is the only gospel to actually have a sequel. It was so good, God came around and made a sequel to it, and that is the book of Acts. Many scholars and theologians believe that Luke and Acts are tied together and comprise the narrative or, or show the overall narrative of the entire Bible, and that is that Jesus Christ was and is the Messiah and that all the verses and prophecies in the Old Testament point to Jesus being that Savior. So the book of Luke provides us with that narrative and overall understanding, and that's going to be an important point for us to keep in mind as we begin to look at some of the expectations surrounding Jesus' birth, one which we'll actually circle back to in a moment. But additionally, aside from actually having that initial um, tie together to providing narrative, the book of Luke is different because it also provides a prologue. It's kind of like Star Wars, right? The screen fades black a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then the music flares and the crawl begins to scroll. It's that statement about what's happening in the story so far. And the book of Luke in Luke chapter 1 actually provides us with that opening crawl, and it reads like this. So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of wonderful harvests of Scripture and the history that took place among us, using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses who served this word with their very lives. Since I have investigated all these reports in close detail, starting from the story's beginning, I decided to write it all out for you, the most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you have been taught. See, Luke's prologue is important as we get into our story this morning, because unlike Star Wars, which was a fictitious story made up by man, the story of Jesus is a historical account. We're actually going to read about actual events, historical events, and actual people who witnessed those events this morning. We're not reading just another mere cute Christmas story we're reading the history of the birth of God. And that is something that I think during the Christmas time, that in and amongst all the pageants and nativity scenes, that can get lost on us. So we'll keep that in mind as we dive into Luke's account of the birth of Christ. So let's get into Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it says this, At that time, 
the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census when t- taken when Quinarius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph, Joseph was a descendant of the King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in snugly strips of cloth and laid him on the manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying out in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said, for I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find the baby wrapped in snugly strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. And when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So now what in the world do angels, shepherds, Roman censuses, a baby in a manger possibly have to do with managing expectations during the holiday season? In fact, as we look at that story and portion of scripture, the only person we see expecting anything is Mary, and she's expecting a child. And that's not even really an unrealistic expectation. If you're pregnant, kind of follow suit that you're going to have a baby most times. But on the surface, it is a historical count of the birth of Christ. But it's also a subtext of God subverting Jewish expectations about the Messiah. Remember, we said earlier that Luke and Acts all pointed towards Jesus being the Messiah and that all the Old Testament prophecies pointed to Jesus being the fulfillment of that. The birth of Jesus took centuries of expectation that the Jewish people had about who their Messiah would be and what he would do and turned them completely upside down. See, prior to Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem, there were many, many faithful Jewish believers who expected that the coming Messiah would be a conquering king, that he would finally deliver them out from underneath the Roman occupation and establish an earthly kingdom and rule from the ancient city of Jerusalem. And they hung their hopes and expectations on Old Testament prophecies that said things like, the, king, the Messiah and Savior's kingdom will never end. He will come and establish a government that will rule justly and with equity. I think in our modern day culture, it's hard for us to empathize with people who are oppressed. Not to mention the idea of actually living under foreign occupation. 
So as I thought about this, I was trying to, in my mind, come up with a way in which I could empathize and sympathize with what the Jewish people were feeling at that time. And the only thing that I could come up with in that moment was a persistent and chronic illness. Let me explain what I'm saying here. Um, when I, a few years ago, I went to the gym and I was trying to work out regularly. And in this said gym, there were a lot of guys that were working out a lot more than I did and were a lot buffer than I was. And so I decided that at one point I was going to try to impress these guys by squat pressing way more weight than I had any right to do. I put the weight on my shoulders, took the bar off the rack, and I went down and my back gave out in the first set. In the days following that injury, I laid in bed unable to move because the pain was so great. And the months, literally the months that followed that injury, there was nothing that I could do that wasn't overshadowed by the pain of that injury. If any of you in this room has ever dealt with a chronic illness or a chronic pain, you understand what I'm talking about. And in a small way, I think that helps to understand the way in which the Jews of Jesus' day viewed the occupation of the Roman authority. They lived under a persistent and cost, constant watch that impacted everything they did. There was nothing they could do, nowhere they could go, that there wasn't some kind of reminder of Rome's occupation of their land. And now we can begin to see that why this little baby in a manger might have been a front to Jewish expectations. I mean, if God was really coming to save the world, why would he choose to do it this way? He was supposed to be born a king, king of kings, in a royal palace, the conquering king. And yet he was a baby born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl with nothing but a bunch of smelly and no-name shepherds to herald him. Everything is backwards in Luke's story. Can you sense the unmet expectations that perhaps the Jewish people were wrestling with in that moment? But despite man's expectations, unrealistic as they may have been, the angel in our story declares something incredible. He says that this is good news and great joy for all people. The statement, guys, reveals something incredible about the character of our God. That while life may not always go as we expect, while we may wrestle with disappointment, while we may struggle with heartache, while we may grapple with anger over unmet expectations, the God of heaven to earth can look at that exact same situation and say, that is good news. Because God is not limited by our expectations. You see, God doesn't view life the way you and I view life. I have a finite and very limited perspective of the way I view life. When I encounter trouble, pain, unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations, I stop my foot and I say, God, get me out of this. I want out of it right now, Lord. But God looks at that same situation through the lens of eternity. God sees both the past, our present, and our future the same way. It's as if a scroll of time is unrolled before God and he can see the entire thing. 
And he looks at those situations that are causing us momentary pain and says that I can use that to bring out the character and qualities in your life that will make you more like Jesus. And that is why God can look at that situation and say, it's good news. Because God is not limited by our expectations. It's why the book of James tells us that um, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that your faith is tested and your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and lacking nothing. When life doesn't go as we expect, we are told in Scripture to look at it as an opportunity for joy. Not because unmet expectations are fun, they're not. But because God promises that I will use this as an opportunity to work in your life. God is not limited by our expectations. It's why the book of Romans declares that is why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is being worked for good, Romans 8.38. We can make, take comfort in the promise that God says, I will use every circumstance that occurs in your life. Guys, I'm going to make you scholars this morning, Hebrew scholars, Greek scholars. What does the word every mean? It's not a trick question. What does the word every mean? Every. Every. God will take every circumstance, every tear that we shed, every heart that breaks, every disappointment we experience because of unmet expectations in our life and use those for our good and His glory. God is not limited by our expectations. And the truth is, in that moment, God could have come through on that cold night in Bethlehem. He could have given the Jewish people exactly what they expected. Jesus could have been born in a royal palace with trumpets blaring, royal guard completely surrounding him. He could have come as the conquering king and completely wiped Rome off the map. He's God. He's got that power. And yet, he didn't. Because while the Jewish people would have been received some immediate uh, satisfaction from their expectation, while their physical oppressors might have been thrown off, their souls would still be shackled by sin and death. Instead, Jesus comes in the most humble of ways. God was laid in an animal's food trough, as Jason did such an incredible job last week taught, teaching us about. And he was heralded by lowly, lowly shepherds. Jesus was born in meekness because God saw beyond the that a nation's temporary need for physical deliverance to mankind's eternal need for spiritual deliverance. That is why the angel declares that, the that upon Jesus' arrival would bring great news would be great news and bring great joy to all people, not because he had come to meet the limited expectations of the Jewish people, but because Jesus had come, God would use that circumstances to bring redemption for the entirety of mankind. God is not limited by our expectations. So now what? How do we actually apply that to our lives? How do we take that thought of God is not limited by our expectations and practically apply that to our unmet expectations we feel during the holidays. Can I give you one way not to do it? 
we as Christians love to use pithy sayings, and we lob them at family and friends who might be hurting. And while God is not limited by our expectations, is true, it's also not a cure-all for people who are hurting during the holidays. Trust me, I know. I've done that. This past summer, my wife and I, Don, were going through a really dark season of life. One in which particular that we had many, many expectations that were seemingly going unmet. And on one day that was really difficult, I decided that I was going to encourage my wife. And I shared one of these statements with her. I'm a pastor after all, right? That's what I got to do. No sooner had the words come out of my mouth than my wife turned around and shot me a look that I swear would have killed a lesser man. The truth is that that statement that I made to my wife that day, which was something along the lines, God uses all things for his, you know, everything has a purpose, whatever it was. The truth is, is that expression I shared with Don that day, it wasn't caring. It's lazy. And as are all of our Christian these statements, even if they're true, when we use them as a cure-all for people who are hurting and broken during the holidays. So let me then take my own advice and leave you this morning with something um, that is more than a statement and might help you process through some of the expectations you're feeling this holiday season. Recently, I've been reading a book called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lisa Turkhurst, and she offers some insight on how we may apply the idea that God is not limited by our expectations. Lisa writes that we need to remember the difference between the news and the truth. What does she mean by that? The news, Lisa says, comes, um, to, uh, comes to tell us what we're actually dealing in with in life. The news could be a turkey that refuses to cook. It could be a gift that we didn't receive. It could be a loved one that's not home for the holidays. That's the news. It's a statement of fact regarding our circumstances. The truth, on the other hand, comes from God and helps us process all that we're dealing with. The truth transcends the news. The truth factors God into the equation. And the news and the truth aren't necessarily one and the same. For Jews in the first century, the news was that their Messiah had been born in a manger. But the truth? The truth was that God has sent His Son to redeem the world. For us today, the Bible provides the truth to which we can narrate our news. And I know personally speaking, one of the truths that I cling to over and over again is a verse found in Joshua. It's actually a verse that I have tattooed on my arm because I hold it to me all the time. And it's Joshua 1.9. And it says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is a truth that I have clung to time and time again, even when the news has told me that I'm not or that I'm alone. I remember that God is with me. So what about you? What truths are you clinging to this holiday season? If you're unsure, can I provide you with a couple that might help? Psalms 146.6 says this, and these, all, these won't be on the screen, so just allow 
them to wash over your heart and soul if you are heavy with expectation this year. Psalms 146.6 says, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. What a powerful truth to know that God is faithful forever. Or what about Psalm 72.23 that says, Yet I am always with, me, with you. You hold me by the, my right hand. What greater truth is there to know that God holds us? Or Psalm 32, 7, which reads, You are my hiding place. You will protect me in trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What more peace could be found than the truth that God says, I am your refuge and your hiding place? Church, the truth is this morning is that God is oftentimes closer than we realize. He sees things we don't see and he knows things we don't know. He has a perspective from where he sits that allows him to see all things, the past, the present, the future, from the moment we're conceived to the moment we go back to dust. And it's because of that we can trust the truth of God over the news we read. Now, I'd ask you to pause with me for a moment and imagine what Christmas might look like this year if we began to believe that God is not limited by our expectations? How might our relationships with our families, with our friends, and with our coworkers be different? How might we approach family vacations, Christmas parties, if they don't go as expected? This Christmas, when we're facing unfulfilled expectations, may I encourage you, Instead of focusing on the things you don't have or didn't receive, let's strive as a church to turn our gaze to that baby in the manger and ask God what he's preparing us for. Because God is not limited to our expectations. He sees beyond them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.